You're listening to the Let's Make Sense of This Thing Called Money podcast, where we view money as a tool, not just a number. Now for your host, Stephen Jones. Hey everyone, Stephen here. Welcome to this month's podcast, where we're talking about cryptocurrency. This past week, I had the pleasure of interviewing David Levovich, a global market strategist with JP Morgan, to talk about the ins and outs of cryptocurrencies. What is it? How do we use it? What's the difference between what we all have and our wallets and our bank accounts and this digital currency? It was interesting to learn that David views cryptocurrencies as an asset class, not just a currency. Without further ado, here's my interview with David. I probably get asked probably two times a week about crypto, you know, Bitcoin and all the different ones. And, you know, should you buy it? Should you not? What is it? I've just never been real confident, you know, to talk to somebody about what it actually is. And so I was kind of hoping you could shed some light on what it is, you know, how people are using it and maybe how you see us using it in the future. Sure, absolutely. So I, I think what's most important to, to recognize here is that, you know, cryptocurrency and, and crypto assets are, are really a first derivative of underlying blockchain technology, right? Effectively, what these tokens are is the, the proof that is generated once information has been processed or a transaction has been verified, mm. uh, so on and, and so forth. And so I, I think what's important and what I'll do is I'll talk a little bit about the way that blockchain works, and then we mm. can talk a little bit about the tokens themselves. Um, you know, when we think about blockchains, everybody loves to say that, that the value in crypto is in the blockchain, but nobody can really explain exactly what that means. And, you know, a blockchain is, is really nothing more than a database. And as everybody knows, a database is a collection of information uh, that is stored electronically. So the way that I think about it is, you know, all blockchains are databases, but not all databases are blockchains. And it really comes down to the way that data is structured uh, when all is said and done. Mm. But what blockchains do is they process information. In the case of Bitcoin specifically, they process payments and transactions. And the way that this all works, you know, let's say that you have tickets to a football game and I want to buy those tickets and you want me to pay using Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So we start by broadcasting this transaction to the network. These individuals called miners then work to solve these very complicated puzzles or equations mm -hmm. to come up with a unique string of letters and numbers that is specific to the group of transactions that they've, they've collected. Once they think they have the answer, the network has to verify, write proof of work, you need that consensus, at which point the transactions are deemed to be legitimate, the block is chained onto the existing blockchain, and the whole process repeats itself again. Now, miners aren't doing this out of the goodness of their own heart, right? They're, they're right. paid in, in crypto yeah. uh, for verifying these transactions and processing information. And, and so that's where the idea that these tokens may have value um, really begins to materialize. Now, when I think about crypto, I basically mm -hmm. think about Bitcoin and then everything else. And we'll talk a little bit more about right. Bitcoin, uh, I think, in, in a little bit. Bitcoin is a, is a payment network. It's a one-trick pony. You know, you think about something like the Ethereum blockchain, not only can the Ethereum blockchain be used for payments, but it can also be used for processing information. And so effectively, what, what I tell people is 
blockchains provide a service. Mm-hmm. And if that service is valuable, then it's possible to tie, you know, the token that ties to a blockchain to a cash flow in the real economy. Mm-hmm. And that's where we begin to get a, an idea of you know, some of these assets, some of these digital assets being worth something, but some of them maybe not being worth something. And so I think we're just scratching the surface here in terms of cryptocurrency broadly. But again, you know, there are many different use cases for these digital assets above and beyond Bitcoin, which is what I think most people um, tend, to, uh, tend to focus on. Right. That's the big one. Is, is that the original one, would you say? I would say that it, it, for the most part, it's the original. You know, back in 2009, I believe it was mm-hmm. when this mysterious figure Satoshi wrote wrote this paper. You know, I was uh, I was getting ready to graduate from college, and friends were like buying Bitcoin and going on Silk Road and the dark web and all, all of that. That's definitely kind of the ancestor, I would say, of okay. the uh, of the digital the digital asset universe that that we have uh, in the current environment. Yeah. I remember it being on like the news. You know, there was always like the twins. I don't remember their names, but they were always big advocates for it. And that's kind of when people were like, well, nothing's going to happen with it. And of course, now we know what today. Exactly. It's, um, it, it, and it's funny. And that's one of the things that I think is, is so important to, to recognize about crypto is that it, it oscillates, right? The, mm-hmm. the enthusiasm ebbs and flows. And the start of this year, Bitcoin was north of $60,000. And, mm-hmm. you know, today it's, it's a fraction of that. And, you know, I, I don't think that this stuff is, is going away. Um, but I do mm-hmm. think that, you know, the, the inherent volatility of the assets, you know, means that sometimes they're in favor, sometimes they're not in favor. Mm-hmm. And obviously currently uh, crypto broadly is, is pretty, pretty out of favor. Right. So I had this question for later, but I'll go ahead and ask it since you kind of handed on it. You know, they say there's like 21 million or so in the world and 18 million or so have been found. Do you think that once they're all found, there might be like kind of a median price for everything? And the reason we're having all these big, you know, changes in volatility is because they haven't all been found. So I I think that there are a couple of things going on. I think to an extent, the volatility is, is really a function of sentiment and and Mm -hmm. do people want to buy it? Do people not want to buy it? thing about these assets is that it's all about supply and demand right okay. there are no cash flows to discount it's it's and we think of them more as assets and less of currencies like to me a bitcoin is more like a barrel of oil it is like like the us dollar but to your question so once all 21 million bitcoin have been mined mm-hmm. you know we really i think that there are two questions there one is what happens to the price and the volatility and two is is what happens to the miners right who are being mm-hmm. paid in newly minted bitcoin for verifying these transactions. Um, on the minor front, yes, they're rewarded with new Bitcoin for mm. you know processing data and verifying transactions, but they actually charge charge fees um, above and beyond that. And so okay. you know, these individuals will still get paid for, for doing what they do. They're just not going to get that slug of new Bitcoin uh, the way that they do in the current environment. For the end user, right, the, the mm. retail investor, if you will, um, I do think we'll see more stability in the price, mm. right? Once it's all out in the market, according to you know macroeconomics 101, supply and demand line should find some sort of equilibrium price. I'm not sure that it means all of the volatility comes out of that market. I think a big chunk of the volatility comes out of that market. And importantly, right, once the volatility of these assets begins to decline, mm-hmm. then there's a 
more reasonable use case for thinking of them as being currencies opposed to being assets because you're not going to be dealing with these fluctuations where you know if you go to Starbucks and you try to buy a cup of coffee using Bitcoin, you actually don't know the mark you're going to get on your Bitcoin when that mm-hmm. transaction gets processed. And, and that to me is really one of the big hurdles um, mm-hmm. to making it more making it more widely adopted. Right. Because today you could buy more coffee than maybe tomorrow. Exactly. <laughs> something. exactly. You might not be able to buy as much. So that makes exactly. sense. Interesting. And so, you know, the world we live in today, when I think of digital, you know, I look at my bank account on my phone. It's a digital number, right? We look at our statements. I don't actually own that physically. And we don't have to talk about gold standards and backing the dollar or anything. But what is the main difference between, you know, kind of what we all see on our phones and our bank accounts and this digital, actual digital currency? Sure. So I think that there are a couple of key differences between, you know, the world of fiat, so dollars, euro, yen, Mm -hmm. so on and so forth, and and what we see in the world of crypto. Um, To start, so my my background is in economics. Um, Mm -hmm. To me, a currency is one of two things. It's a store of value or it's a medium of exchange. And the reality is that the volatility makes it difficult to see how crypto is a store of value, Um, And because I cannot yet go to Starbucks and buy my morning cup Mm -hmm. of coffee using Bitcoin, I'm not sure it's a medium of exchange as well. But um, beyond that, there are a number of of other differences, um, you know, kind of starting with, you know, where where does this stuff come from? So, you know, obviously the miners that are verifying every transaction, um, you know, are are bringing crypto Mm -hmm. to the market uh, just by just by the nature of that activity. Whereas you think about, you know, where fiat currency comes from, well, it comes from the government that issues it, right? The US government, the treasury, uh, so on and so forth. When it comes to how these assets hold value, um, it's primarily based on supply and demand in the crypto world, as we talked about earlier on. Uh, when it comes to fiat currency, right, it's much more about confidence in the issuer. You know, mm-hmm. yes, the value of the dollar is to an extent dependent on things like interest rates and, and economic growth. But it's also this idea that a dollar is backed by the full faith and credit of the the U.S. government. Another difference is how it's secured, right? So Mm -hmm. the computers that are verifying every transaction provide that security in the world of crypto, whereas third parties like banks, as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. and and governments uh, provide security in the world of fiat. And then finally, the, the elephant in the room, right? Are there physical bills or coins? In the world of crypto, the answer is obviously no. And although not as many people, you know, carry around dollars and cents as they once did, uh, mm-hmm. those those do continue to circulate throughout the global financial system. And so I, I think when you use kind of that five pillar framework for thinking about how these are different from traditional currency, uh, it becomes increasingly clear that, again, these are more like assets and commodities in the current environment, as opposed to something like the U.S. dollar, the euro, mm-hmm. the yen, the Swiss franc, so on mm-hmm. and so forth. I like that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's the hard distinction is the two and, exactly. and seeing, it, seeing it more as an asset than, you know, a dollar in your pocket that you can go spend. At exactly. And, it, and the name isn't doing anybody any favors, right? You know, everybody <laughs> refers to it as cryptocurrency. So people right. think of it as a currency, but for those of us that, that, you know, spend our days looking at assets, which are changing in price, we mm-hmm. have a very different framework for thinking about, you know, some sort of financial asset or investment versus something like a uh, a dollar in your pocket. Right. So there's no physical coins floating around. Like any, no, any no, 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 no physical coins. No but physical. It, it, you know, 
But it's interesting because yeah. that's been one of the challenges um, in opening the door for investors, right? You mm -hmm. know, you, you can go and buy an ETF, you can go and buy a fund where the underlying is a derivative, so a futures mm -hmm. uh, contract on you know, spot Bitcoin, but there's mm -hmm. nothing that holds the actual underlying. Mm -hmm. um, but once we do get there, I think it's going to be a huge advancement for the industry at large because mm -hmm. custody has been such a significant issue up until this point, right? The horror mm -hmm. stories of people like forgetting their private key, which is kind of like their ATM pin, and then their mm -hmm. crypto is just locked up uh, forevermore right. and, and yeah. inaccessible. Yeah. Well, I actually had that. I had the Coinbase app. You know, this was probably 10 years ago and I put like $50 in there. And then you lose your password. And I think it took like three months to finally yeah. reset because I forgot what email it was. And so if you had a lot of money in there. It would be a big deal. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Not not a password you want to forget. No, you don't. You want to write that one down for sure. So people, uh, this is coming more recently, you know, the ETFs you can buy or mutual funds that are investing in crypto. How does that fit into somebody's portfolio? You said it's like an asset class. So do you think people will start to use you know, so much percentage in a portfolio? So what's interesting is we're seeing people begin to add crypto into portfolios. Mm -hmm. But the key question is how much to allocate. Because mm -hmm. if you think about kind of traditional asset allocation and portfolio optimization, mm -hmm. there are really three inputs which will help you size a given position, right? You need to mm -hmm. have some sort of expected return. Mm -hmm. You need to have some sort of expected correlation or covariance, to put it more simply, how the asset is going to interact with mm -hmm. the rest of the portfolio. And then you need to have some sort of expected volatility. And you know, mm -hmm. again, going back to what we were saying earlier, well, well, what's a Bitcoin worth? What's the expected return? Well, mm -hmm. it's only worth what somebody will give me for it. Right. So that's very difficult to, to model out. Um, when we think about the, the way that, that crypto interacts with things like stocks and bonds and hedge funds and mm -hmm. commodities, so on and so forth, the relationships are very unstable over time. You know, mm -hmm. Sometimes Bitcoin moves to the stock market. Sometimes it moves to the bond market. Sometimes mm -hmm. it moves with gold. Sometimes it doesn't move with, with any of the above. And so again, forecasting that correlation is, is difficult uh, as well. Mm -hmm. And then the third you know, piece of the puzzle being volatility. Uh, the volatility of Bitcoin has been multiple times that of the S&P 500 over the past decade. Furthermore, that volatility has been very unstable during that same period of time. And so coming up with the inputs to get the output of how much mm -hmm. you want to put into crypto um, is is really a, a very difficult exercise. And, you know, to, to be frank, the smartest thing I've heard anybody say about crypto is that if you're going to own it, you need to be prepared for the value to go to zero because there is a non-zero chance that that could happen. And we saw that a couple of months ago with the mm -hmm. whole Terra Luna debacle where mm -hmm. you know, everybody thought this was worth something, um, but at the end of the day, that ended up being worth nothing. And I think that that serves as a reminder that, you know, there are no silver bullets in investing. There is mm -hmm. no real way to get rich quick. Uh, and these are extremely volatile assets that, that mm -hmm. a lot of people, you know, probably can't can't handle that mm -hmm. type of volatility in their uh, in their portfolios. Yeah. So very speculative. You would yes. Say. Very speculative. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what I've been telling clients is speculative. And like you said, if, if you can't afford it to go to zero, don't buy it. So. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's good. So it'll probably be some time before. Some people start putting it in their funds, if you will. I, I think so. I mean, 
Yeah, we're yeah. beginning to see it on on the fringes that you know people, mm -hmm. individual investors are adding it to to portfolios. I would say adoption by the asset management community has been a bit more sluggish, but I think that's more of a regulatory issue than anything else. But you know, from my seat across all of the clients that that I speak with, whether it's mm -hmm. the large pensions, uh, the endowments, the foundations, the you know mm -hmm. John Smith who's who's working with an advisor uh, in his hometown. People are having this conversation. And so to me, the direction of travel is one uh, where over time, I do think that you'll see these assets pop up more and more uh, within diversified portfolios. So what what is the relation to the other? I know there's like 1800 cryptocurrencies or coins or uh, whatever the terminology is online, like Dogecoin and all the Ethereums. Are those like Bitcoin where they get mined and everything or is that completely different? No, they, they get mined. So, okay. so the way, you know, kind of back to what I was saying saying mm -hmm. earlier, um, for most of these blockchains, the, the coin that is generated when mm -hmm. the information is processed or the transaction is verified, um, that's kind of the, the proof of, of verification, right? So mm -hmm. the, the thing to, to recognize, though, is that some of these coins have value and some of them do not. JP Morgan's a great example. So we mm -hmm. use a blockchain internally for intraday repo activity with the rest of Wall Street. There's a JPM coin that is generated when mm -hmm. the transactions go through, but it's not worth anything, right? Because it only mm -hmm. exists within the walls um, of JP Morgan. You, you think about some of these other tokens, and you know, Ether is one that's particularly interesting to us because mm -hmm. while it can be a payment platform, which is what Bitcoin is, it can also host something called a smart contract, which is effectively a rules-based approach for processing information. And so you know, I have a, a young daughter, as we were mm -hmm. chatting about, I feel like I'm constantly filling out medical forms for school and camp and all of this stuff. Right. And, you know, the way that it works now is I get the forms, I have to go to the doctor and drop them off. They now mm -hmm. make me pay like 40 bucks to fill out the forms. And mm -hmm. it takes three phone calls and then me going back to the office the day that the forms are due mm -hmm. in order to get them to school or camp or whoever. What if in this crazy world of blockchain, right, there was a smart contract, which basically understood the information needed for the form. And that smart contract could connect to a medical database, poured in my daughter's information, populate the form and send it off to the interested party, all in a matter of minutes. I think when you begin to think about crypto in, in that sense, the value becomes more apparent particularly in the blockchain technology, but also in those associated tokens. And so, you know, mm -hmm. for us, it's, it's some of them have value and some of them don't. And, and it mm -hmm. all ties back to whether or not, you know, they are generating some benefit that frankly can be measured in terms of utility or time or dollars uh, when we look around the, uh, you know, the U.S. and the global economy. Okay. Very interesting. I like the doctor analogy because every time it's like very re redundant information, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, health insurance is the same way. It's like you mm -hmm. fill out a form and it scouts honor. And, and then mm -hmm. you hear back three weeks later on what your insurance premium is going to be. It's like, why can't we just pump in all of this medical information that, that exists on, on you, on me, mm -hmm. on, you know, so on and so forth, have the relevant form populate and then have an algorithm process the information. Arguably, that mm -hmm. takes human error out of the equation, making the process more efficient and, and mm -hmm. you know, more... Uh, more effective as well. That's, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's cool. Well, Dave, I really appreciate your time today. Of course. I still yeah, think it's, it's a pleasure. little over my head, but uh, I'll, I'll do my best to understand it. And hopefully in the well, future, what, I think once I start to use it, if I ever get to that point, it probably will make more sense. 
And what I would say for for you know both you as well as as well as our listeners, um, mm. the the internet actually has some pretty good resources. Like if mm. you go on the Ethereum website, if you go on you know the Coinbase website, they they have great FAQ documents mm-hmm. which really explain this stuff and, and mm-hmm. it, it makes it more tangible. And so if there are people that are that are thirsty for for more, um, you know, a simple Google and, and kind of clicking into one of the names that you recognize is going to give you a pretty good uh, set of information um, with respect to, you know, the various tokens that exist in the world today. And does JP Morgan have any articles? Or we do. Like a we do. Page? So we we uh, we don't have a landing page, but okay. we write a blog twice a week called "On the Minds of Investors," okay. uh, and we've written a couple of articles about crypto uh, over the past few years. We touched on it in our long-term capital market assumptions. Uh, we have some charts around it in our guide to alternatives, and so we very much can be a resource here um, as well. Uh, and you know, happy to help in in any way that we can. Okay, I'll probably find that and put it with the show notes. That way, people can awesome. check it out, get some more information. So yeah, cool. that sounds great. Can people connect with you online? Get LinkedIn, Absolutely. Or Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Absolutely. Okay. Cool. We'll do that. We appreciate your time. Yeah, my pleasure. Have That's a uh, have a great weekend. You too. Thanks for listening today. Hope you enjoyed the show. Feel welcome to follow this podcast for more shows on how to use this thing called money, where we view money as a tool, not just a number. Investment advisor representative offering securities and advisory services through Satera Advisor Networks, LLC. Member FINRA, SIPC, a broker dealer and registered investment advisor. Satera is under separate ownership from any other named entity. Working with an advisor that is part of the SmartVestor Network cannot guarantee investment success or that financial goals will be achieved. There can be no assurance that working with a Dave Ramsey SmartVestor Pro, SVP, will produce or achieve better results than working with an advisor not affiliated with the SmartVestor program. Advisors that participate in this program pay a fee to belong to the program for client leads that are provided. Dave Ramsey and the Dave Ramsey SmartVestor program is not affiliated with BD and Jones Financial Partners and is not sponsored or endorsed by BD nor Jones Financial Partners. Satera does not offer direct investments in commodities, such as gold or oil. Cryptocurrencies, digital assets, and other blockchain-related technology, such as Bitcoin, Ethereum, NFTs, and others, are not securities, not regulated, and not approved products offered by Satera Advisor Networks, LLC. Cryptocurrencies and other blockchain-related non-securities products cannot be recommended, offered, or held by the firm. Investors cannot invest directly in indexes. The performance of any index is not indicative of the performance of any investment and does not take into account the effects of inflation and the fees and expenses associated with investing. Mutual funds and exchange-traded funds are sold only by prospectus. Investors should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses carefully before investing. The prospectus, which contains this and other information about the investment company, can be obtained directly from the company or from your financial professional. The prospectus should be read carefully before investing or sending money. The S&P 500 is a capitalization-weighted index of 500 stocks designed to measure performance of the broad domestic economy through changes in the aggregate market value of 500 stocks representing all major industries. 
asset allocation, which is driven by complex mathematical models, cannot eliminate the risk of fluctuating prices and uncertain returns. 717 Wall Street, Norman, Oklahoma, 73069. The views depicted in this material are for information purposes only and are not necessarily those of Satara Advisor Networks, LLC. They should not be considered specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Neither Satara Advisor Networks, LLC, nor any of its representatives may give legal or tax advice.